Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the SciBeat Podcast, where your host, award-winning author and cybercrime journalist, Deb Radcliffe, interviews hackers, coders, intelligence experts, agents, officers, cybersecurity pros, and other interesting harbingers, heroes, and warriors. These conversations are sure to get you thinking. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the SciBeat Podcast, where your host, award-winning author and cybercrime journalist, Deb Radcliffe, interviews hackers, coders, intelligence experts, agents, officers, cybersecurity pros, and other interesting harbingers, heroes, and warriors. These conversations are sure to get you thinking. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hi, I'm Deb Radcliffe, host of SciBee. I want to thank you for being on our show today, and I want to ask all of you this one question. Who would want to be a chief information security officer? It's a tough job. In my cyber thriller book series, I actually display a lot of sympathy for the role because it's taxing and thankless. I actually use those words in my book. Sue Bergamo has a lot of experience in this role, having worked as a CIO and then a CISO for several large tech firms. So she wrote the book. So you want to be a CISO? Question mark, a practical guide to becoming a successful cybersecurity leader. It published in late 2023. In it, she takes all of her experience and shares it into a digestible 111 page guide for getting started as a CISO. Welcome, Sue. Thank you, Deb. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk about my new book. It was a lifelong dream to uh, write one and uh, finally uh, sat down, put hands on the keyboard and all the words just came out. And I know how you feel as an author. I had a cyber fiction thriller in my head for almost 20 years before I finally dumped it into three books. So I totally get where you're at. Um, Also, I did read your book. I really enjoyed it. I already knew a lot of what was in there only because I've been covering the CISO beat for like 15 years and, and writing for CSO magazine for that long. So I feel your pain. And I've developed a lot of friendships with people like you who have been through the ringer. And a lot of them are females, which is great because in the beginning, there weren't very many My first question to you is, what made you decide to write this book, and who is your intended audience? You know, I'm going to go back to something that you just said, and I'm chuckling out loud, but cyber thriller, right? Like, that is my career. I defend against (laughs) cyber criminals and attackers, like, go figure, who would have guessed? Um, so, (laughs) um, So the book is really about education, right? And educating those individuals that just have some sort of interest in cyber or um, just want to learn more or just want to come up through the ranks and just don't even know how to get started. But 
you know, at this point, as I like to say to folks, I don't have anything to prove. So let me just tell you my knowledge. You can have it for free. It's fine. Well, I thought it was super easy to digest and Thank it you. wasn't like a giant overwhelm, right? You start kind of light and then you get into more of the details around standards and requirements and setting up a program. And you talk a lot about some of the struggles that CISOs have throughout the content, which I thought was great. I read it on a plane, by the way, on my iPad. Um, one of the things you talk a lot about are working relationships, which you define as strategic, tactical, and executive. And of those, you repeatedly uh, said that CISOs struggle most with executive relationships. Can you explain why and what needs to improve? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And part of the problem is that every company does something different with their CISO. And, uh, you know, even the title CISO, you know, CSO, like nobody really knows what this job is supposed to do. And pe honestly, people are sort of making it up. Companies are thinking, especially in the last year with the SEC cyber disclosure rule, oh, I just need to focus on SecOps. So I'll just bring in somebody who can run SecOps and run incident response. That is the wrong answer. So there's no real certification, education. There's, you know, like there's no real guideline as to how to become this chief information security officer. So a lot of companies are just sort of winging it, unfortunately. Winging it. And I've seen some of the HR description for CISO roles, and they're all over the map. But most yeah. of them require like 100 years of experience at executive level, or they will take someone who's technical and try to train them into the cyber side. But the relationship part is something that I've been focusing on a lot as I write for CISO magazine. There are some really smart people out there like you, and like Renee Gutman, who endorsed your book, like Michael Bray of a a hospital in Vancouver, and they really get the presentation to the board, they get the talking to the CEOs, finding allies, and you talk about strategic allies too, so that doesn't mean you have to always be talking to the executives. Can you give me an example of how the strategic ally uh, relationship would work out to improve the role as a CISO? Yeah, I personally, I gravitate toward general counsel, and I know that a lot of people don't like to put their foot in legal, but mm -hmm. legal is absolutely a friend of the CISO because what are they all about? They're about risk management. And what is the CISO doing? We're managing risk on a day-to-day -day basis. Cyber attacks, it's risk. Compliance frameworks, it's all risk. So make a friend. And you know, one of the other things that we try to do, at least I try to do, I am what I call a trusted advisor, right? To the executives, to the people at the lowest levels of the organization. If you come to me and talk to me about something, I have to decide what to do with it, that information. But at the end of the day, you're trusting me to give you solid advice. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. So, you know, I, I think that what we can do around understanding the business issues that the executives are having and bringing some sort of semblance around cyber to that business executive helps us to develop those relationships. And just to go one step farther, I cannot tell you how many times I've said to a new CISO or a vendor, 
please don't bore me with detailed metrics that you expect me to put in front of a board member. Like it's not happening. The board is focused on risk. They're focused on go-to-marketplace to increase revenue and brand reputation. You never, ever go into a board with your myriad of detailed metrics saying, oh my gosh, we've been you know, attacked a million times this month, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the board, like you don't want to open up that can of worms because at the end of the day, you may not have been breached. So go to the board when there's a breach, give them the information that they need right? Tell them how it's yep. impacted, go to market revenue and brand. And otherwise you're going to go in there and you're going to talk about risk management and, and how you're going to help the company and the board manage risk. So instead of me giving them a big report on here's our hundred vulnerabilities that we closed this week, and here's the attacks that we thwarted this week, what do they need to say? The metrics for the board, honestly, it's, it's around you know, did they lose any money? Was there any fraud? Was there any employees compromise that led to brand reputation issues or loss of revenue? You have to keep it at that financial level. Otherwise, again, you're just opening up a can of worms and, and they don't understand it. And, and that's not a dig on board members, right. but that's not their, that's not their, their, you know, sweet spot. They're there to understand how to keep the company growing and how to keep customers happy. So some board members are getting more savvy about cyber. But if you, you know, you read the uh, cybersecurity disclosure rule, it didn't say that they needed to understand it. They said they needed to have awareness. Everybody's aware uh, of cybersecurity. There's a difference. When, the way I read that was you actually have to have a CISO level person on the board. No, no, they stopped short of saying that, which is really unfortunate because we were all kind of hoping we'd get a board position. Oh, okay. Speaking of those, you talk about the differentiators between each of the executive leaders and legal uh, board CEO responsibility and the CISO responsibility. And I'm wondering if defining those responsibilities and clarifying them and getting sign off on them would actually help limit CISO liability as we're looking at what's happening with the SolarWinds case against their CISO and what recently came down against Joe Sullivan over at Uber, which I reported on for CSO Magazine, heartbreaking. Um, You know, it's a hard role. Why are we gonna make them liable when the CEO and the board is not being held liable? So what is your take on defining these different relationships to risk what are their priorities and how do you formalize that so that you are protected? Yeah. Okay. So let's break that down into a couple of different things, right? So each of those executives has a mission, just like we do, which ours is security. Unfortunately, in many organizations, the executive team feels that anything that's related to risk and cyber falls on the CISO's shoulder. And notice I'm not even saying the CIO any longer because, you know, they have a different mission, which is all the internal applications, the internal network, things like that. So the liability is on us. And unfortunately, we have, well, maybe I don't know about unfortunately, but we have to do a better job as CISOs to educate our business leaders on why they should be sharing in the risk. 
And let's take Joe Sullivan, for instance. Joe stood in front of a judge and the judge asked him why he was standing there alone. There was no one else in that sea level standing next to him. And he did take the fall for that breach. It doesn't matter if he's wrong or right, but Joe did take the fall for that breach. For not reporting that breach. For not for not reporting the breach, which, right. uh, you know, there wasn't a cyber disclosure rule at the time of the breach, though he wasn't a public company. But he, they they chose not to disclose that breach in a timely fashion, right? Correct. So, I mean, we could go down different paths here, you know, as a global company, you know, there was GDPR, um, you know, as a, uh, uh, you know, why they didn't disclose, um, you know, what were the circumstances around that? And and I would encourage your user, your audience to go read the court case. It's fascinating. It really is yep. fascinating. But at the end of the day, Joe was the person who took that fall. No one else, even though yep. in many companies, and I'm not going to talk about Uber, but in many companies, the CISO brings the material breach to the executive team And a lot of times the CISO just talks about what has occurred, the forensics, and then they back away and somebody else makes that decision. So um, again, I'm not going to talk about the uh, the Uber breach, but um, a lot of times we're not responsible for making the disclosure. And let's talk a little bit about materiality because the SEC did not define materiality. Is it Mm -hmm. a small breach? Is it a large breach? Is it somewhere in between? What constitutes materiality? Is it one customer data was disclosed or is it, you know, multiple customers? Is it one row of data? Is it a million rows? Like it's all over the place. So that's what we have to try to do is give the executive team as much information as possible so that they can make an informed decision around disclosure. But we're not necessarily the ones making that decision. And that's the distinction in the differentiator between our liability and their liability. But with the new SEC disclosure rule, the liability falls on the CISO. We are right. Is are they are using that rule to go after the solar wind CISO right now? Um and that wasn't even for not mm-hmm. reporting a breach. That was for not reporting that they were vulnerable. Yeah. And so Tim Brown of SolarWinds is falling under that same uh, cyber disclosure rule, even though he wasn't the CISO at the time of the breach. So the whole thing personally is messed up, right? And it's causing a lot of consternation in the CISO community. Many of us have stepped out of our jobs. We just don't want the liability anymore. And a lot of us are saying, you know, like, this isn't worth it. Our jobs are hard enough to defend against these cyber criminals, even though we love the challenge, right? Because a million Mm -hmm. hits hits a month and, you know, most months nobody gets in. Like, we love that challenge. But the fact of the matter is, you know, fighting that one piece of internal politics, it's not worth it. You can pay us as much money as you want. It's not worth going to jail over at all. Agreed. Agreed. That's one of the reasons I never want the rule, although I probably can do it after all these years, you know, writing about it. Um, You also talked about communication 
And you wrote, I love this quote, staying quiet works against the CSO, CISO, unquote. And so how do CISOs raise their voices without that laundry list of, you know, stuff that's going to make their executives glaze over or their business units glaze over? How do they actually communicate and what uh, should they be communicating to these uh, groups or at least what way should they be communicating to their constituents? Yeah. So a couple of things come to mind here. One, a lot of us are known as the department of no, right? And you don't want to go in and just talk about, no, don't do that. No, 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 right? It's the wrong message to send. Find alternative ways to help the business move forward and become more secure. Um, And then the second thing is speak in business language, Right. And, uh, you know, many of my peers, I love them all, but a lot of them love to talk about the bits and the bites and the alerts. Right. And if you put it into that kind of context, you lose your audience immediately because they're business people. And though everyone has an opinion on security at this point or technology, we have to speak in business terms. If you do X, this could be a ramification or impact on the business. So if you turn it around and talk about the impacts, again, go to market, financial and brand reputation, you'll get somebody to pay attention. Yeah, I've always felt that enabling the business securely is the language that should be spoken. And I got that from Rhonda McLean when she spoke at the original EWF uh, meeting, uh, the very first one where she stood up in front of everybody and said, I get funding for everything I need. Here's how. And I went, whoa, okay. So identity and access management is going to enable this new customer facing program. Got it. You know, that's the way you, you languageize it. And I will be in the CISO series, talk about, uh, have an interview panel around embracing artificial intelligence that is a train that is running fast and there's no way to stop it. So how do you embrace it and all the risks that come along with it, including new forms of injection attacks and prompts and, and poisoning attacks, which I just wrote about for CISO magazine. How are you going to enable that? You can't stop it. It's already there. There is most of the operational programs we use today have AI in them. Now, when you write a, a, post on LinkedIn, you get a question, would you like AI to write this for you? You know, it's everywhere already. So um, anyway, I agree with you that the enablement side of this is you can't stop the business from going forward. So how do you enable it? And sometimes it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to steal a quote from Joe Sullivan, run toward security, don't run away from it, right? And I've counseled a lot of CISOs and CIOs Stop putting your head in the sand. This is the train has left the building. Just it's in another emerging technology that you have to figure out how to help secure. Don't run away from it and expect someone else to do it. If you don't take the bull by the horn, it's going to cremate you in the end. Like don't yeah. just report it. I and think about things like, you know, shadow IT and stuff. If you say no, you know, it's just going to proliferate anyway without any controls. So that'll be another discussion. Maybe I'll invite you in on that one too. Absolutely. Um, Your guidebook also leads up to creating and implementing a cybersecurity program. Is that the case for most 
new CISOs or are they actually moving into companies that have programs that they need to adopt? And if they do to adopt, then what do they need to be looking at in the programs? So as an experienced CISO who's been a CIO for many years, it's all about the program, right? So unfortunately, many many of my counterparts don't understand that. And a lot of the inexperienced ones, and again, I don't mean that with any disrespect, this is a hard job, but a great job. A lot of folks think, just bring in the tech, we're good, just monitor for alerts and you know potential issues and, and we're good. But the book tries to show that it's not just the tech, it's people, process, and technology. And it's not just bringing in the technology and maybe putting a body or half a body on watching what's going on. It's also optimizing that technology so that you can make it um, automated and that it'll do more for you. So you can go, you know, those resources that you have uh, can go off and do some other things that are just as important. So the book tries to lay out how to put a program together. And at the end of the day, it's the CISO triad, uh, triad rather, uh, that we abide by, which is CIA, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And if you can do those things, um, then you can have a great program. And so the book lays that out. Again, I have nothing to prove anymore. So take my knowledge, um, do what you want with it. The book was easy to read on purpose. So a little uh, antidote, I made my parents read it. I didn't actually make, make them do it. They wanted to, they're all excited. I, you know, I got published and I said, I want to know if you understand what this is saying. And they came back and they said, I don't really understand all of everything, but it was easy to, you know, it was easy to read and get through. We have a great understanding, but, but this was our takeaway. Why would you want that job? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. That's how I, I said, feel. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard. You yeah, know, pretty, actually, I'm like, okay, you, you got the, uh, you got it. <laughs> but your book wasn't scary in anywhere. So it's interesting that they had that takeaway. Yeah. You know, and they hadn't even been exposed to a lot of people like you, like I have. So that's very interesting. Burnout. You mentioned that oh. repeatedly in your book. <laughs> Since we're talking about how hard this job is, um, what's a remedy for burnout that you see? And can you share any personal stories around this? I, I can't really disclose too much because of the triad, right? So, you know, uh -huh. and under NDA. So I don't, I never share trade secrets. Otherwise I wouldn't be a trusted advisor, but Correct. let's just say when you're actively involved in a breach, you know, it's all hands on deck and you don't stop until it's over. Right. And, you know, think of all the big ones that have just occurred, you know, CISOs talk, you know, we don't, we're not sharing trade secrets, but we talk because we support one another. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember um, when, uh, when SolarWinds was um, first hacked, I didn't know Tim Brown, but I called him up and I said, do you need any help? And he goes, sure. I really could just use a unbrindled opinion on what you know, what happened here. And we talked for an hour. I didn't know the guy, but because we're a tight knit community, because if we don't support one another, like we're not getting the support internally usually. So we're, we're our tight knit group. And it's like, like stay away from my, my peeps. Like we're going to protect one another. Um, and we offer advice and we offer counsel. 
Um, and, you know, it, it, we offer education. We're here to help, right? All of us are here. I've never heard a CISO say, go away. I'm not helping you. Like, <laughs> out on your own. I've never heard that from not one person in the group. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough job. And burnout is real. And, you know, another thing is, again, CISOs are different. Some of us do watch alerts all day long. It's like, please stop doing that. You have a staff. Unless you're a staff of one, don't read alerts, but be aware of what is going on. So every morning, I always do a 15-minute stand-up. What's the first three to five things that I need to be aware of starting this day, right? That's an easy conversation to have. And the staff also knew if something happened during the day and I was, you know, in a board meeting or with an executive or, or just talking to an engineer who needs some help, you get to call me up and say, I need to speak to you right now. It's, it's like that. So our jobs are 24 by seven. Yes, we miss things always. Right. And I remember being at a party a few summers ago and, you know, my sec ops manager, I would look down at my phone. It was like, Oh no. Right. Or general counsel calls, you know, at 1030 at night when you're just thinking about going to bed and, and you're like, Oh, okay. And, you know, you know, again, going back to this party, people were coming over to me and saying, don't you think you should get off the phone? And it was like, I can't get off the phone. I'm 24 by seven. People are relying on me. I'm sorry. I, you know, I can try to explain this to you later, but not right now. Right? I'm in and the middle of a fire drill. Sorry. I'm in the so, middle yeah. of a fire drill. Right. And if I'm not, I have a lot of family in remote areas. I'm like, I'm not in a good cell area. I get in the car and I go find one. My PC comes along with me no matter where I am, even on vacation. So I don't get the luxury of saying, gee, I'm sorry. I'm off today. Oh, wow. um, and burnout is real because we never get a break. Now, I'm going to take the other side of that. If you have a good program in place, right? Like if you walk into a shop and it's chaos, that's your first measurement as a CISO that things aren't going right, right? So I strive for calm, cool, and collected, right? Good. If Things are serene and calm. My program is working. And then you have an occasional blip, which is that breach, because it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's what I strive for, calmness, so the staff can take a day off or, you know, go on vacation or just, you know, whatever it is that they want to do. The other thing that I'm big on, because, you know, unless you're working for a Fortune 150 you know, company, and you've got as much money and resources as you need, the smaller companies are struggling, right? You may mm -hmm. have a smaller staff. So cross train them. So your vulnerability manager isn't one, or your sec ops analyst isn't one, you know, or, or your, you know, your infrastructure engineer, cloud engineer isn't one cross train people, because guess what? People do get to take time off and holidays I remember a 4th of July where I was trying to find somebody because, well, I can't give you the, the um, details, but there was a problem and um, I'm calling, I'm calling executive staff, right? And the first call I got was, it's the 4th of July. I, I'm much aware of that, but sorry, not in my world, uh, <laughs> my world. <laughs> so, yeah. 
And then you also mentioned in your book about, you know, if you don't have the resources, outsourced services might help there. Yeah. And then you can put some of that burden on outsourced services. But still, if you're the leader in a small company and there's a problem, outsourced services is going to call you first. So you still have to be yes. on. You yeah. are the leader. And especially in a breach situation, you are the conductor, right? Mm-hmm. You are the orchestra. You know, the, the, you are the conductor. You're, you're the one who's saying this is what we're going to do. But, you know, unless you have all the answers to every single thing that's happening out there, I, my belief, my approach is you use your staff because everybody has great input and you make collective decisions in a breach about what you're seeing, how it's going, where do you need to pivot, who's got better details, and you're just constantly juggling those details and making decisions until the breach has stopped. It could take days, it could take weeks, right? It could take an hour, you never know. But yes, it could take that long. And some of them go on for months and you just get a break. And then afterwards, you count all your new gray hairs. I don't have any gray hair. <laughs> I don't either. This is actually my natural color. Not bad for an old lady. Okay. So we only have a couple minutes left, but what I would like to hear from you is your journey to CISO and any resources you can point who I think the majority of CISOs come from technical background. So any resources you can point to elevate them up to the business level and maybe using your experience as, and your journey as a way to offer help to others? I think everyone has a path and it may be different for each of us. I have a lot of degrees, but I'm not just a college student. I raised my hand. So early on, um, you know, when I first started in the industry, everybody had a niche skill. And I said, I don't want to do that. I I don't want to be just, you know, pick a, pick a role. I said, I, I, I think I want to climb the management rank and learn as much as I can because the technology was changing. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of it was back then. And so I just kept raising my hand when everybody in a room was quiet, when the, you know, the original CIO was saying, hey, who wants to? I was this young kid in the back of the room going, I'll do it. I'll do it. And that's how I made a reputation for myself. And then they called me a high performer. So I got lots of opportunities. And... Um, And yeah, I've changed jobs a bunch of times and I don't regret doing that because I kept raising my hand and learning more and giving myself stretch goals. Mm -hmm. Finally, I found myself at the CIO level and, uh, and I was thrilled to, to get that role. It, It, it's a beautiful role and it was very akin to my background as program manager. And then I got global and I was even happier. Um, and I just kept raising my hand and then I had the opportunity. So I, as CIO, you always have security in your shop, mm-hmm. at least originally. And uh, when the market was breaking out the security role, no one would look at me because they were like, well, you're on a CISO. And it was like, yeah, but the CISO role is brand new, right? I have security mm-hmm. in my shop. So um, I went back to school, got a degree in cyber uh, with a minor in international terrorism because I just wow. really focus on what was really going out there. And, um, and then I got a role as a CIO and a CISO, and it just took off from there. So I still consider myself a CIO and a CISO, but more than that, I consider myself a business person because I'm there 
in the business as an executive leader. I just happen to be in the business of tech and security. Right on. Well, that was very helpful. And I'm super glad that we actually, we met for the first time on this show. And I'm really happy to meet you too. Um, I just was wondering if you could read back the title of your book and tell us where to find it. It is on Amazon and uh, it is, you know, so you want to be a CISO. I'm also on Barnes and Noble. And uh, if you go to my LinkedIn profile, uh, if anyone sees this podcast and um, they want to link with me, just put a little note in your invitation. Tell me where you saw it. And I'll, I promise you, I will accept um, your invitation. And then you can find the book uh, right on my, on my profile page. But um, thank you for reading my book, Deb. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was almost like a job in the box. Like, you know, if you could can it and put it somewhere and share it so it can be reused. That's what it felt like to me when I read the book. Um, as a fellow author, if you're looking for something exciting and thrillery, my series is called The Breaking Backbones Hacker Trilogy. Uh, the first book starts with a drone war and kamikaze drones. Um, so that's also on Amazon and every other book outlet out there in every format. To our audience, we want to thank you for joining us and please follow us on the CISO series. We have a lot of exciting topics uh, scheduled for future shows. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the SciBeat Podcast with Deb Radcliffe, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. you enjoyed this episode of the SciBeat Podcast with Deb Radcliffe, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.